Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. To find more information about the Preacher Boys podcast and upcoming documentary, visit PreacherBoysDoc.com or connect on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Now, here is your host... Eric Skwarzynski. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Preacher Boys podcast. Amber, can you please introduce yourself to the audience and let them know how you got introduced to the IFB movement? Yeah, so when I was really young, about five years old, I know my mom met a member through like a a soul winning evening and she was just really drawn to it. So yeah, we were pretty young. So about five years old is when I started going to, to the church. So was that Hopewell Baptist Church initially, or was it a different church and then you ended up moving, or or what church were you guys first introduced to? It was Hopewell Baptist Church, yes, in okay. Napa. Okay. And what was your, I know that's very young, do you remember anything changing from prior to being at the church to when you started attending, or was it all kind of like earliest memories are at Hopewell pretty much? No, I mean, I definitely think our entire life changed at that point. It was, we kind of went full on into everything. So we joining every ministry. And I think my very first memory of things changing was when it was dresses. We were going to be wearing dresses. And I remember having conversations with my mom about that very, very vaguely, but everything kind of just switched to, to dresses and ministry and things like that. Right. Right. And so was your initial experience positive? Was it just a little bit weird and different? Or did you feel like negative feelings toward it when you first kind of everything changed around you? I think some of it was positive and some of it was negative. I think I remembered, I remember developing friendships with people and I really enjoyed that. And it was, you know, it was a happy environment. And so I did enjoy that. The negative side was, you know, at school, you'd go to school and you'd get questions like, why are you always wearing a dress? So I went to, I went to public school. So that was difficult. I didn't, I didn't like that. That was definitely a negative for me. Right. Yeah. I can definitely relate to that. Like it's, it's funny talking to people 
who have assumptions about why I do the show. And um, someone actually just tweeted it as a joke, but they were saying, you know, I tweeted like one of my favorite childhood memories. They're like, oh, you must have had a bad childhood if that was your favorite memory. <laughs> oh my um, God. <laughs> but, but I was saying like my childhood actually was pretty positive. And one of the elements that I do appreciate was there was a lot of community and I built a lot of good relationships with, you know, people my age and, you know, had, I was literally with people seven days a week. So it's, it's pretty easy to, to build those relationships. So yeah, I think it's, you know, I, I always think it's interesting when people have a generally positive initial experience, because I know that was me for, I mean, the first 15, 16 years of my life was extremely positive. So, so with the positive stuff happening, the friendships and things like, what was it that happened that was like the first time you had a sense of like, hey, something's not quite right, or, you know, maybe this isn't, you know, the best situation. Maybe it's a little bit different than just being a little weird in some places. Maybe there's something like actually bad happening here. Yeah. So when I was around nine, everything kind of seemed to be good. I mean, there were, there were the things like, we, you know, we're talking about just some differences and it was weird, but the, yeah, like you said, the community was great. We were highly involved. It was exhausting. I remember being tired of going to church all the time. And so that was a little bit like hard for me. But the thing that stuck out the most that was really strange to me that was off. And somehow I, I kind of separated it from the church, but it, it all kind of connected later in life. But at the time, I think I kind of separated the two. Like I thought of it as more of an isolated incident rather than like, this is an issue within the church, but looking back, you, you know, that it's, it's an issue with the church, but at the time you're confused because you do have all this positivity going on. And then all of a sudden this, this bad thing happens and you don't know why it's you're, you don't want to like relate the two. So it gets very confusing. And I think it can be very confusing for families, but you know, in hindsight as you know, now you can see, how it's not an isolated thing. But so yeah, there was an incident where uh, a deacon in the church, his name was Jeffrey Douglas. He was highly involved. He was ahead of the Joyful Melodies, which was, I just dove right in. So hope you don't mind. (laughs) Oh, that's fine. Yeah. So he was the head of the Joyful Melodies, which is a singing group that would go to like retirement homes and and seeing to the elderly. So he was in charge of that. And those were all children, very young children. Right. So he, yeah, so he was involved in that. He was an usher. And so he, you know, he was highly involved in the church and he was, my mom had had him babysit us. And so he started some grooming tactics on me very early on, like right away. And didn't really think anything of it. I was very uncomfortable with him. But yeah, if you want to stop me at any time, you yeah, can. I, but. I was I was just going to say, when you say grooming tactics, I know people who've listened for a while probably would know, you know, what that means or what that looks like, but I'm always surprised how many don't even know what the term is. So can you give an example of kind of how he was doing that or, or what you felt that was kind of off from him? Yeah, absolutely. So I remember he would be tickling me a lot. He really just would find any way to like touch me, to be like have physical contact with me. It made me feel very uncomfortable right away. I was, I would tell him to stop, like don't. And and he just was very persistent about it. And I remember I would, 
I actually remember running into my room and slamming the door and locking the door behind me. And so it, 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 he didn't, he didn't watch us that many times. I can only remember like at like three times that he actually watched us, but he was very calculated, which made me worry that he had, you know, had done things to other kids because he was watching other friends of mine and, and people, you know, members of the church. And so that was always really scary to me because I don't think anybody else has come forward with any allegations, but so yes. So the grooming was just a tickling and he would try to brush my hair, which was really weird. He also like, like sitting in between his legs. And so I always was super uncomfortable, but I didn't think anything was happening because he hadn't tried anything. He used my toothbrush one time. It was really gross. Like, Hmm. yeah, he, he like asked to use my toothbrush and he was gone for a while. And like, he came back down and like later the toothbrush looked really gross. And I just, I remember being horrified. So those are all grooming, um, grooming thing. You know, he was just, he was filling me out. He was trying to see how far he could take things. Right. Right. And did anybody else catch on to this or did you feel like you were the only one that noticed this was weird or anybody say anything or. So my brothers were actually always around. I have an older brother and a younger brother. And I distinctly remember the time that he, in fact, did try to molest me. My, I cried out no to stop him. And my, my older brother was like, stop tickling my sister. And he, he wasn't looking. They were on a video game. They were turned away. So he was, you know, he was perfectly happy trying to do something right in front of my brother's. Um, which is very concerning because he had, you know, he had no fear to, to move, to move in. So that stuck out in my mind that, you know, it, it was noticed by, you know, my brothers that the tickling was something was wrong with that. But I don't actually remember telling my mom about it that I can't really recall if anybody else knew. Cause again, he didn't watch us that many times. So it had happened a few times. And then by like the third or fourth time he watched us was when he tried to take things further. Right. Right. What was your reaction to him actually trying to, I mean, he had overstepped his boundaries many times before that, but at this point where it's a clear, you know, red flag for you, like what was your reaction in the moment? Like, what were you thinking? What's going through your head when this is happening? Yeah, I was really afraid. I remember thinking I knew exactly what he was doing when he tried to do things further. I remember thinking in my head, like, I know what you're doing. And I was really like afraid and I was getting really angry. I just like a lack of control. I remember during like the grooming, I was really uncomfortable and I felt really scared. And I was really like having kind of an out of control moment. And the only thing I can think of to do was to just run away and like lock myself in my room because right. I was afraid of what he was. It was just, it was weird. I knew something was wrong with him. Right. Like some, cause something was really off about him. Yeah. So how did anyone end up Frank? Cause obviously you went and, and talked about this and told someone that this happened. So tell me about that. You know, how, the information was received when you went to somebody, you know, who you went to and kind of what, what happened as a result of this? Like, was there any response, you know, was there limited response concern? What was kind of the next step there? Right. So actually when he, the very last time that we were watched by him, he tried to take things further and I did stop him. And 
I, you know, let out a, like a loud, no, like a stop. And my brother, you know, like I said, he was like, stop tickling my sister. He kind of just thought he was pulling the same old thing. I, I, I startled him. So he like immediately jumped up and he actually called my mom at the time. And he was like, Oh, I just, I wanted to let you know of an incident. So he tried to like cover for himself. Right. Like, oh, I accidentally touched, you know, your daughter and I still touched her leg. And so right away, my mom was like, wait, what? Like, you, what do you mean you accidentally touched her? And so she immediately sat me down. Like, she got home and sat me down and I told her exactly what happened. And I actually, like, don't have any memories about it personally after that because I was so young. She, she kept it quiet from me until later. And then she, would, she told me more, like, when I started asking more questions about you know, what had happened because I was really young. So right. you know, she, she didn't just divulge all the information to me right away about what she was doing behind the scenes. But I do have memories of like going to church and like he was still there for a period of time. But later on, when I was a little bit older, it was, I knew more information about it, but we actually did end up going to court and he was prosecuted. So he had to register as a sex offender and spend like 80, 180 days. So he did end up getting convicted for it. Right. Was, what was, so when you say he was still attending the church, was he attending or was he still doing the same ministries or like, what was his, and did anybody go to the church? You know, was there, was there any kind of, you know, was there any kind of communication done with like the pastor, with the staff there? Yeah, so I do remember being told later on by my mom that she did go to Mike and confronted him about the situation and it was after the fact. I learned about this later even even so like more after the trial and everything. I learned okay. it the gaps were more filled in, but my mom had gone to Mike and to Mike Ray. Mike Ray. Okay. Um and I actually know of other people who had gone to him and confronted him about it, at least two other people over the course of several years later. I mean, we're talking back in 1996, you know, six and seven, right. I, which was surprised to find. And it was, he blamed my mom, you know, to more than one person. So that I, that I do know for sure. Okay. Things like, you know, why did you let him watch your kids when you know, to, for what, from what my mom remembered was he was preaching, you know, Oh, grab one of these young men here that are single. Right. And, you know, so you guys can be in the ministry and so you can have a date night. And so you can do these things. So it was very contradictory to, to that. So anyways, back to, back to her. So I was told that she did in fact confront him and that he told her he would handle it. And then I heard from somebody else that he was being counseled. So that I obviously was really young. So I, I can't a hundred percent confirm that, but that was what I was told. And right. so there was a period of time where he was still in the church. I, and, but I don't know if he had to step down from his ministries, but he, there was a period of time where he was in the church and then eventually the authorities were contacted and then an investigation was started. Do Do you know, who contact was it the church that contacted the authorities or or who was it that took that step and so it definitely was not the church it was i have i have a family friend who said that they went to the police 
And then I don't know for sure if my mom also went or if it was just the family friend, but for sure the authorities were contacted and it was not the church. It was not by Mike Gray and it wasn't right away. I remember my mom telling me that she, you know, she, I remember her thinking that she was waiting to see what Mike was going to do and then nothing was getting done. So my mom was really good friends with the one that did actually go to the police. So I don't know if they actually went together or if, if it was just the family friend, I can't confirm with my mom at this time, but you know, maybe in the future I can get that confirmation. But I do know that at the time Mike Ray was told nothing was done about it. Even he was even still continuing to go to the church for a period of time while he was quote unquote being counseled. Right. So you mentioned earlier, I mean, obviously for anyone unfamiliar with everything going down at Hope Bowl right now, I mean, there's, there's plenty of stories coming out and, you know, alleged mishandling of a lot of cases. And so you, you mentioned earlier that a few people had gone to Mike Ray regarding what had happened. To your knowledge growing up, so from that age, even on through, you know, the period at which you, you know, were an adult. Did you hear similar stories of things happening where did you feel like you were the only one until, you know, much later? Like what was the, you know, what was kind of the the timeline of from that point on to realizing like, oh, there's been a couple of these instances over the past several years? So I feel like when my, because everybody knew about my story, I feel like that was definitely not a secret, especially since we took it to trial. But I... I have heard from other people that that was kind of the one of the first to kind of spark the conversation for other things to start coming out. Um, And a lot of people were really mad about the way that was handled. But for me personally, I think being so young, it's hard to recall exactly when I remembered the, the next time things were popping up. It seemed to be kind of I learned a lot actually later on when I finally, you know, when I kind of grew up and left the church, I started to hear more and more stories and, oh, did you hear about so-and-so and And did you hear about what happened to so-and-so? So So I feel like it kind of started to unfold as I got older, which kind of makes sense because when you're young, it's, it's very confusing and you don't quite always know, but there were, there were rumors about other things, but like I was really good friends with Rebecca, but I didn't really learn her story until much later after we were out, out of it, right. out of the church. Right. So over the next few years, not, not knowing, you know, all of the details and not knowing all of the different situations that had happened or, you know, having not heard all the stories and things, you know, knowing the way that it was handled in your case how did that affect the rest of your time there, you know, and did you, I mean, obviously that's a, that's a pretty heavy cloud to be weighing over everything else. Did that, did that totally change the way you perceived the the church from that point on? Or was it something you kind of just pushed off to the side and didn't really think about past then? Or, or like, how did, how did you deal with that moving forward? Yeah, that's an interesting question because I feel like I separated it. I really didn't, I really admired Mike Ray and I, I, I always admired him. I, I continued to go to the church. I didn't quite know. I mean, 
like I said, I just learned of new details. Even when, when things come to light, you start talking and learning and, and new things can come up that you, you didn't even know before. And so I feel like at the time I, it was very much a separated incident for me. I, I kind of looked at it like there's the church and then there's this incident. And it wasn't until, you know, you hear of all these other people coming forward with their stories and like how things were handled for them. And it's really, it's, it it angers me. It's, it's really sad. It's frustrating. But I think at the time you, 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 I, I wasn't hearing about a ton of different things. There were rumors here and there, but it was really after I left. So it was like this, just this wow moment of, wow, this was really going on like with a lot of other people. So it's really sad, but at the time, I think I kind of separated it. Right. That's why I continued to go. And there was a period of time though, where I think my mom was struggling because she, she, I, I don't know the timeline of when my mom was going and not going, but there was a period of time where my mom left and we were still going, which was kind of interesting, but. So what, what age did you finally leave the church and what, what's prompted that? Was it just progression of life and you ended up going a different direction or was it, was it due to similar situations? Like what was kind of the the catalyst for you actually leaving um, the church? So my mom actually stopped letting us go, but it was more of a, Cause she wasn't going at the time. She, she at one point was like head of everything, like the you know bus route. And she was going every, you know, the four days a week that you get Sunday morning, Sunday night, yeah. Wednesday night. But then she stopped going and we were still going cause we were begging. We wanted to go, but it was mostly cause we wanted to see our friends. The exit for us was, was simply just because my mom didn't, it was almost like a punishment. We got like, I got in trouble and I wasn't allowed to go anymore. So it wasn't anything that happened on the exit or anything major like that. And then I ended up moving away to go live with my father. So yeah, nothing crazy there, but I was around 14 when that, when that happened. Okay. Okay. So, so in total, so until you spent about 11 years, 10 or 10 or 11 years. I was, I think it was almost 10 years. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so after having left, you know, you mentioned obviously, starting to hear things and starting to connect with other people who had experienced things or, you know, all of these different people. When was the first time that that happened where you felt like, oh, there's somebody else besides just me? And then, I mean, really, I want to talk about kind of all the events that led to, you know, this past month. I mean, it's <laughs> been, it's kind of been a collective, you know, we've been quiet about this for 10, 15, 20 years. And now we're just, you know, we have to speak up because there's, there are other people. So can you talk about, you know, how you kind of got reconnected with some people, how those stories started being shared again, and maybe you noticed that sense of community with people who'd experienced something similar? Yeah. So I definitely have kept in contact with a lot of my friends. It almost seemed like a past life now. It was so long ago. Right. It really does. But I've, I've kept in contact with a lot of people. I've, you know, I have them on Facebook and a couple of the girls were like really, really good friends. I mean, just like best friends when, when I was young. And so there's always that connection there. So we catch up every now and again. And I really think it was just the catching up over the years I've caught up with. I actually, I think the first time I realized like, wow, this had like happened 
to a lot of people and this is still going on. I remember speaking with Rebecca, actually, we caught up and she shared her story with me and we were good friends when we were young and it, it really was shocking. Her story is, is incredible and devastating and heartbreaking. And so that, that was, that really like was a, a wow moment for me. And found out, you know, she shared some things with me. And even with Jeff, she had been um, watched by him, but she didn't recall anything happening. So that was interesting to find out that he was watching other kids. So, you know, which is really sad because I I know of one family, he he watched them for a a four to five year period and um, nothing has come It's hard to imagine that nothing happened in that case. Exactly. Which is, it's, it honestly still eats at my heart to this day, but you know, nothing has come out about that. So, you know, it's just sharing my story is just for me personally, it feels like almost like not as significant as some of the other stories that you hear. Cause it's, it's not as, I mean, I stopped him. And so that, that was empowering for me, but I think it's important for people to understand that even for someone who, who attempted to do something to me was still, you know, convicted well, and yeah, held accountable eventually. Yeah, I think that's important. And we, we've talked about that before. I've been talking with so many uh, people from from Hopewell the last couple weeks. And that's one of the things I really like that you noticed was, you know, even with, you know, what he did and being able to come out and, and speak out, out about that, there was a pretty harsh penalty for what he did. And, you know, obviously, like, there's there's obviously times where the legal system fails in a big way. You know, I look at, I look at the Cameron Giovanelli case and, you know, 90 days, you know, and and there's stuff like that, but I really, I really encourage people to come forward. If, if there's ever been, you know, anything like that, you know, there, there's more often than not, you're going to see the right thing happen. And of course it's easy to look at things and get, extremely frustrated i'm doing it all the time but you know even even just coming out like i think one of the most powerful things that i've seen happen out of hopewell is i'm seeing people realize you know i'm not alone this happened to someone else too i don't have to carry the trauma like even even in your story yeah you you stopped him but like that's an immense amount of trauma for a nine-year-old to to have to, to deal with and you know, whether, and I think it's easy for people to put things in these categories of, you know, well, was it this or was it that, or was it this? And it's like when an adult is using a position of power to assault you, that's a very scary thing. And and regardless of, you know, quote unquote, how far it goes, you know, it doesn't make it better for the person who experienced (laughs) it. And, and so, yeah, I really like I really like that in your story that he actually got arrested, which is a big, you know, that's an awesome thing. And then also I think what you've really hit on is that's why everybody needs to speak out and share their story because, you know, it it's so easy to get to get in the trap of like, oh well nothing's gonna happen or it was too long ago or, you know, don't don't second guess yourself. Like there's people whose jobs it is to right. look into this stuff. So and don't go to the church because the church isn't, you know, going to help you. And right. I don't, I don't understand the counseling him when, what, yeah. you know, what, what about me? I mean, right. I, I was told we were still sitting right behind him in church. Like I just, yeah. it's, it's baffling to me. I think people need to 
it's, I know it would seem easy for me to say, oh, come forward, come forward, you know, when, when it, you know, in like nothing happened, but obviously in the eyes of the law, that was, that was, you know, that was, that was molestation. That, so, yeah. which I'm glad it was because there, yeah, there's no way that he wasn't doing this to other people. Yeah, he was right. in a position of power. He, he was around other children all the time. So, yeah. in, and I would hate for people to be living with that and thinking nothing, it doesn't matter. Nothing's going to happen when right. it, it, it can, it can happen. Right. And, and two, the, the other thing I'll say is like, what I've noticed is a lot of times it takes one person for the dam to burst of, you know, someone sharing their story. I mean, Rebecca, I think, I don't know if she would take credit for this, but I think her sharing her story so publicly a few months ago, I think that helped a lot of people start thinking about it and start talking about it. And, you know, I mean, other even even in this current situation right now, I'm seeing people like you come forward and and share, and it's empowering people who otherwise would stay completely silent. And so, you know, obviously, I don't want to tell someone, you know, you know, to to push past something that's going to be more traumatic for them. But sure, also, sure. you know, but also by someone speaking out, it could help prevent a lot of other situations from happening. And so yeah. it's a, it's hard. I wrestle with it every single time I do the show is like how much to push people who have a story to, to share it. But the more I look at it, the more I'm like, you just, we have to, we have to start talking about this stuff because the reason, yeah. you know, I look, I look at Hopewell and, you know, I've, I've heard people in the group who are talking about 25 years ago, something or, or this. And it's like, the meeting that they held, you know, that I was able to get recordings of and, and post about and, you know, thousands of people were keeping them accountable for having this meeting. That wouldn't have happened 25 years ago before social media, you know, who knows right. how many stories are sitting there that were swept under the rug really easily. And so, yeah, definitely. Yeah. If you have a story like this, like come forward, you know, reach out to reach out to someone else who you've heard on the show who's a survivor and talk to them about, you know, the experience and, and, you know, how to share and all of that stuff. Super important. So. Yes, I agree. So speaking of dams bursting, Hopewell in the last month, (laughs) a big dam has burst um, to put it lightly. So uh, I'm curious. I mean, I kind of got, I interviewed Rebecca and then about a month later, it was like a meeting's happening tomorrow. It's going to be crazy. And, you know, I've yes. been, <laughs> yeah. that was pretty much it. And so I'm curious, like, how did you become aware that this was like really boiling over, like hitting the surface? And, you know, what, do you know what prompted that kind of this big, like doors blown open kind of situation there? <laughs> You know, I had heard through the grapevine that there was, that situation was going on. And it's interesting that I even heard about it because I've been out of the church for, I mean, it's been forever. And so, but yeah, when you're still friends with, you know, you're still friends with people, you, I, I I think I, I reached out to someone or we caught up and I mean, I was told about the incident. I just couldn't even believe it. It was, it was shocking, but then it wasn't shocking. Like it was like, I I just feel so sorry for the people that have not yet gotten justice. And 
it's, it's, it's crazy to see how the church is still trying to protect themselves. Just air it out. Like, just like protect your, your congregation, protect your people. The, you know, so it really was just learning through the grapevine, but I wasn't surprised. I wasn't shocked. I don't know how it unfolded so fast. I just yeah. think that it was like a wrecking just, ball that just, it just started <laughs> to, to blow. And I think maybe it had been because people were coming forward and they were going to the authorities because I think it had been going on for so long. So I think it was really when people started talking to the authorities and then obviously, you know, your your page is so disruptive in a, in a good way. And I think people are catching wind of that and, you know, you're, you're getting the good, the bad and the ugly, but it's necessary. And, you know, these, these things need to be talked about and they need to, they need to change because it's, it's really, really hard to watch this going on. Like even from afar, like when I heard about that, I was just like, my heart was so like broken because I just, I couldn't even believe that. And you just think about, well, what about that gap in between, you know, where, how many people, how many cover-ups, how many, you know, swept under the rug? I mean, it was, it was surprising to me, I have to say really quick, when Mike said in the meeting that if it had been a minor, he would have made that hard call like he had always done. Yeah. Well, how many times had this happened, Mike? Like, how many right. times had this gone on? Do you, does your church have a problem with child molestation? Like, yeah. you know, and, and why were her parents contacted if she was an adult? It's like, all these things just raise other questions. And that's just a side note. But it just, it proved to me that, you know, this is clearly an issue. This is not, you know, you, you, you can't keep doing this to your, your people. This is not love. This is not of God. And so I'm glad this is blowing out of the water and people are talking about it. And thank God for your, you know, your podcast and your page and your, you know, you're starting a movement for people to come forward. And I think that's a great platform for people to feel safe. So, right. you know, I appreciate that. And I'm sure a lot of people appreciate what you're doing too. Right. Yeah, it's, it's important. And I, I think, you know, the thing and I alluded to earlier, but the thing I'm really excited about being the social media age is that, you know, it's in a, in a, it's kind of interesting. We're seeing all these cases come out now, but it's, we're dealing with pastors and churches that aren't used to having any kind of way for, you know, any way for people to share this information. And there wasn't any way for, you know, people to be looking into these cases. And, and now, you know, now I think they're kind of shocked that, you know, you can't have a closed door meeting about, you know, Hey, we're going to send this person away. You know, it wasn't really a big deal. Like that, just, yeah. that stuff just can't happen now. And so. And um, not I, when you can piece it all together with all of the other churches across the nation. So. And with people's testimonies ranging for time periods where like there was no overlap or there was very little overlap where, why would they have the same story? Even though, you know, they were two totally different, you know, periods of time. So were, were you there? So in the time period you were there, was Mark Zach the youth pastor or was it someone else during that period? Um, the, it's kind of funny because the youth pastor, no, he was not. 
there. That was, that was way after me. But I remember Cameron, actually, Cameron Giovanelli was there for a very brief, brief period of time. He was in the running with someone else to be the youth pastor. And I don't know, maybe it just either didn't work out or something else had gone on. I have no idea, but he was there for a brief period of time. And I actually do remember him very vaguely. So, Uh, but no, I did not know Eric. Thank God. Yeah, that's, that's such an interesting uh, legacy there. I know. But, um, it's so, and you think it's like your church. You're like, well, maybe you know. So, like after the fact, when you're when you're out of the church, you you're like, oh, well, maybe it was just my church. You know, maybe this isn't like a whole IFB thing. This is, and maybe it's an all church thing. You know, you really get confused. You don't know. You're like, is this just all churches? Is this just IFB? What is it? But I remember thinking like you know, oh, this, this must have just been this church. You know, it's kind of weird that these things have had gone on when, when I was, you know, back in the day. And, and then when, when the, the, the Eric situation came out, it's like, this is not a back in the day. This has been going on. And then see, I really honestly, for me, when I saw your page and I, I just saw it all laid out in front of me, like church after church, after church across the nation, all over, I was completely blown away. I mean, I think you kind of know like, okay, there's something wrong, but then when you see it all, it's undeniable. It's, it's undeniable. And it just, all these things start coming up and you're, you, you can't look away. You're like, this is coming into clear perspective for me now. Right. And for such a small denomination, it's, it's shocking, you know, going through the list. Like, I mean, the Abuser database has, I think, I want to say like almost 300 people on it now. It's like high 200s at least. And then I've got another 150 listed out on a document. I've got, you know, messages. And it's like, you know, the estimates for how many, you know, actual independent Baptist churches there are ranges. But at max, I've seen um, 6,000. At the smallest, I've seen 3,000. Giving it the the 6,000 number, there's a lot of cases. Like there's, there's a very significant amount of cases. And what, what you said, there's, when you really start digging into it, it's one thing to see pins on a map, but like, I almost wish there's a way for me to show all the ways that they get cycled between all these churches. I mean, just Cameron Giovanelli alone would be, you know, spanning up and down the West coast and the, you know, well, I guess, yeah, up and down the West coast and then moving around and, and, being a part of other churches and other ministries. And it's like, there's a lot of threads to follow. Um, yes. So you're so busy. <laughs> Your head's spinning. Yeah, it's, it's, just it's a wild. lot. I don't it's have wild. the time to keep entering in all of these names and I'm trying oh to keep up. God. And, you and know, that's clearly an issue. I mean, these churches right. are not that big. Like let's, I mean, they're, they're, they're a decent size, but they're not yeah. like, how, how are there so many 200, you sexual know. abusers? Like that is insane to me. And and when they do get caught, it seems like they just get shuffled around, you know, they get moved or, you know, they get, they get silenced or it's just, I understand abuse is going to happen anywhere, right. schools, you know, yeah. all these other places. But when you have like, when you have it happening and then there's nothing going on on the church's end, that yeah. it, it that's when there's a, a, a clearly a huge issue. Yeah. Well, I, I've said it with Jerry Massey's book where she documented all the all the cases that she could find over a period, and it was like a hundred and I think a hundred and fifty or something for her. But she lists out in her book, the Big Book of Bad Baptist Preachers. She she lists out 
whether church discipline was taken and every page, none, none, none. And it's like, was it reported, you know? Not unless the authorities step in is, yeah, they don't do anything unless authorities step in. Or unless it's a, it's a calculated PR move, you know, there's no way out of this, you know? Yeah, exactly. We've been caught. (laughs) We need to kind of clear up our name now, which is kind of what it seemed like with the Eric thing, like the meeting. Okay. One incident, she was of age. Okay. And it was (laughs) nine years ago, but he's going to leave in the middle of the night. Yeah. And nothing happened. Nothing happened nine years ago when this happened, even if she was of age, her parents were contacted and okay. Okay. Hush, hush. Like, right. On. And then when the when the gals try to speak up, you know the music going up. I mean, it's it, yeah. if, if you look at it as the whole big picture, it's per, it makes perfect sense. If you want to pick right. the pieces apart and 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 all of that, then you know I'm sure he can have an argument. But if you piece it all together, it's a pretty clear picture. And right. and I know that for a fact because you know I've lived it. <laughs> so right, right. So I, I end every interview with this question. I think you just answered it, but, but, but with the IP, you mentioned, you know, struggling, is it my church? Is it the movement? I'll kind of change the question so you can give an answer to it. But one, do you think there's hope for any kind of reform of the IFB, any kind of, you know, way for it to correct its course? And I'll add a second part to this. If, if yes, what steps do you think need to happen for that to be possible? Oh my gosh. I think that's a really, really tough question. I kind of lean on the error of cults ish. <laughs> I would, I hate to say that, but it's, it really, I do kind of err. So, so in a way I'm like, I just think they're so deep that I, I really don't know if, if even as a religion as a whole, if it's a healthy religion for people, I have, I have so much more trauma and, and that is just one little piece of the pie. One little, very small piece for me. There's been so much other trauma that has happened during the time of going to that church that, that for me, I don't think it's a healthy way of life. I don't think it's a healthy religion. I think the judgment is, is abusive. I, even in, in and of itself, just that judgment piece that you get, let alone the, the, you know, the, all the other teachings that are in my mind, corrupt, like the spanking and the, you know, separation from the world to where for me, the separation of the world means that you're separating them to control them. And so I don't really think it's of God. So when I, when I look at it like that, I don't think that's biblical. I think it's, it's to control, to possibly abuse. So my answer is probably a no (laughs) on that. I really don't think that it's just a healthy way of living in general. I think people can find another way to serve God in their own way, to be honest with you. Right. Awesome. Well, yeah, I like to ask everybody because I've gotten I've gotten a pretty broad spectrum of answers I'm with sure. that. But yeah, well, I I really appreciate you taking time to share. I know with any of these interviews, it's not the happiest topic to jump on and and spend an hour talking about. But I, I really appreciate you doing it and lending your voice to this. And I'm hoping, you know, like we both said, I have a feeling this isn't the last you know story we'll hear out of Hope. While there's already others coming out. And I'm hoping if anyone's listening to this, which I'm sure they are, you know, yeah. I hope that they'll find the the courage and the, you know, the community to come forward. And, you know, I'll just, I'll just say this to close, but like, you know, I look at, I look at the, the Hopewell situation and, and, you know, just the audio and the transcripts and the the video coming out of it, which I'm so thankful for the people that sent that stuff, you know, there, there were literally 
thousands of people watching and supporting yeah. on the side of those who were victimized. And so, you know, if you're feeling alone, there are literally thousands of people that are waiting to 100% support you and back you. So, I mean, definitely reach out and and connect. Whether, whether or not you want to share your story on a podcast, you know, that's regardless. Like if I have people send me messages all the time that say, I don't want to be on the podcast, but <laughs> what can I do if I can help you with any of the connecting with the legal side, if I can help you with connecting with, you know, a therapist, if I can help you, just send a message over, you know, email, all that information, you know, will be in the show notes, but, but definitely reach out and don't stay silent. And, and I appreciate you really speaking out. That's, that's really encouraging. So. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the preacher boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, Please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at Preacher Boys Doc. Additional information can always be found on PreacherBoysDoc.com. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.